Hi, I'm Rachna. I'm Natalie. And I'm Christy. And welcome to the Triage Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Triage. We are so happy that you're here all to join us for another wonderful episode. Today, we are so excited to say that we have Dan Polino here with us for an interview, and I'm going to introduce you all to Dan. Dan is an innovator, thought leader, and author. He's a regular contributor to the discussion on healthcare, citizen-based services, and smarter cities, having appeared on CNN, Bloomberg, and the BBC and other media outlets. He serves as a moderator and host to the current healthcare debate and is an adjunct professor lecturing on leadership at his alma mater, Western Kentucky University. He has worked at IBM for 36 years, leading its global healthcare and life sciences business for 10 of those years. He concluded his career with IBM as the general manager of the global government healthcare education life sciences business. Dan, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us about your newest venture, Everyone Matters? Well, thank you. I'm, I'm delighted, Natalie, to be here with you, and I so appreciate you inviting me. Uh, yeah, Every, Everyone Matters is an interesting uh, organization that we've put together in retirement, if there is such a thing as retirement. But if you don't mind, I, I should probably tell you the story of how we named it Everyone Matters, and maybe that'll help bring the readers and the listeners and everybody that gets a chance to participate with you all up to date a little bit on Everyone Matters. Is that okay? Absolutely, please. So uh, I, I would uh, often, I gave lots of speeches and talked to many different organizations and uh, I would end up all of my speeches doing the same thing. And, and I would conclude by saying, why do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? Well, when I first did that, I would get the stare of the Wisconsin dairy cow. You know, people would say, "What is he asking us? You know, why do we do it? Why do we do what we do? What? What do we do?" Uh, but I would answer the question for them initially, and, and why do we do what we do? Is because everyone matters. Because everyone matters. And when you start doing the business of the people, and you're in healthcare and education, and the things that we believe in, and societal-based services you realize that what you do is really for the benefit of everyone and everyone matters. Well, it didn't take long before I would finish my speeches and my dissertations and I would conclude by asking people, why do we do what we do? And then they would answer. They, they would answer in unison because they realized what I was asking them. So it only made sense that when I retired from IBM after 36 plus years uh, and many different experiences and thank you for mentioning those, that I would create a company that was uh, a social impact company in these areas and continue a lot of the work we're doing. And of course, uh, Trusted Healers, our book, is our first book in this space. And it's around healthcare, the continuum of care, primary care, really a system of care. But we also include conversations around societal change and leadership. And so those are the three tenets of the book, Trusted Healers. It's part of our company, Everyone Matters, uh, Everyone Matters, Inc. And uh, I so appreciate you asking me about it. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much for um, providing the story about how you got that started. And it's good to know that um, there's a community out there looking for everyone like that, especially now, today, uh, how we're, <laughs> we're all together online, but 
you, you know, we're not able to gather in person. So it's good to know that there is an outlet out there to connect with one another. Um, and we understand that the message of Everyone Matters is also deeply intertwined uh, with the messages from your book, Trusted Healers. And this book follows the journey of Dr. Paul Grundy, uh, a physician who prioritizes leadership and collaboration and community to initiate healthcare change and innovation. And of the many things that I, I loved about this book, um, I feel like a, a big important message uh, and something that we deeply attached to was the fact that Dr. Grundy and the other leaders in the book acknowledge both what the U.S. has to offer in healthcare, but also what other countries offer in the healthcare space. Um, and today with COVID-19, there's a lot of debate about how each country is handling the virus. And um, it's tough to acknowledge which countries are doing good things or bad things. Um, and I think this idea debunks the myth that only Western medicine is, is the way to go all of the time and is the blueprint for taking care of people um, and serving its community. So I, how important to you is, is collaboration, um, whether it's cross industry or international collaboration in solving the world's biggest problems, especially now with COVID? Well, thank you, first of all, for reading the book and, um, and mentioning my good friend, Dr. Paul Grundy. He is absolutely a rock star. Um, in the world of healthcare on Mount Rushmore, his, his face is etched in the history especially around primary care system of care. He's, as you know, knighted. He's a key leader around the world. Um, he worked with Nelson Mandela. It's just an amazing individual. And he has brought us some great gifts. Uh, certainly the system of care, continuum of care. And I was fortunate to have Paul by my side when I worked at IBM and really felt that he would be a great centerpiece for the book. Uh, as you know, my friend Patrick Kennedy wrote the foreword to the book on mental and behavioral health. And that's just a spectacular way to start this conversation because we are talking about collaboration, not just for the traditional thought of physical care, but also mental and behavioral health along with physical care. And one of the reasons I wanted to bring the best practices from around the world is I, I had a chance to meet with so many wonderful leaders as you see in the book. Many people would say, Dan, why would you look at Denmark or Norway or England or any of these other places uh, to bring the idea of healthcare into the United States when the United States is so large with 300 plus million people? Well, here's what we know. We know that 90 to 95% of all care is local. So, you and Natalie, when you go to your primary and you go to others, you're not really traveling across the country unless you've got some really difficult situation where you're looking for a very unique specialist. So you can go look at places where, like Denmark, where they have an unbelievable system with 5.5 million people. And you see Denmark ends up being like a region in, in the U.S. And can we start to learn about what that would look like? And where you live today is a very good example of some of the consolidation that's that's happening. Uh, Anova Health uh, coming together with a lot of the things that they're doing. Kaiser's another excellent example of these integrated delivery systems. And what you find is that they have primary, they have the specialty, your electronic medical records are all one place. And uh, from dermatology to really just about anything that's there, we're, we're connected now. And that's what we talk about 
within the book is how important it is to have that system of care. And, uh, and we should all look for that. And that should be uh, something that is paramount. Uh, I would also say that we have a responsibility, we the current generation, although we're different in age, we still have many of the issues, which is healthcare literacy for the kids growing up today is not what it should be. And we owe it to have that conversation about what is healthcare literacy and how people should start to think about caring for themselves and what they should do. And that means going to the dentist, that means getting your annual physical and your checkup. That means having these kind of conversations around mental and behavioral health and issues at home and be able to address these things and start working towards those things. So that's an important conversation I think that we should have within our families, and with our children as they grow up this idea around healthcare literacy. We get these ideas from around the world, uh, which is just uh, uh, why I wanted to bring those forward in the book. Absolutely, here at the triage, we really emphasize just, we actually have like an entire episode about how mental health and is just as important as physical health and how they're connected too. And it's all about like the health of you as like a whole person and like, and yeah. how we want to emphasize, like, just like, like the, la the recent, it's recently come to like more of a global stage talking about mental health, but there's still so much work to do. So we're very appreciative of your emphasis on that as you, well. You know, Natalie, I, I want to give you some reasons why it's going to work and why I'm optimistic. Yeah, uh, certainly, if I had a chance to work closely with Patrick on this and many other great leaders, but I want to start with. Um, in, in 2014, I had a chance to uh, deliver the State of the Union message on mental and behavioral health with, with Patrick. And I reached back for a, a, a quote that came from Native Americans, which is, if you listen to the whispers, you don't have to hear the screams. Now, you could imagine in, with Native Americans and when that was, that might have been around a, a, a bonfire at night or something. And most likely when they were talking about the whispers, they were talking about things that would go bump in the night, right? And you, you'd want to make sure you're protected. But Oprah Winfrey in her last show, she actually brought that exact same thought with the idea you have to listen to these whispers in our communities. Because if you don't, they start turning the, to problems and then they escalate and then they become crisis. And we know this and we know this. So check out from the neck up. It's very important that we bring the whole idea of mental and behavioral health. Now, a lot of things have happened uh, over the last five or six years. We've timed electronic medical records in so the data can be captured about all of us and be able to be shared between people that would handle mental health as well as physical health. We're starting to bridge that gap with uh, referral patterns. Uh, the, the appropriate specialists are getting paid uh, appropriately. And recently, there was a very significant Supreme Court ruling where the health insurance companies are now being held to a standard, a much higher standard, to ensure that the right type of care is being offered for people that have health insurance around mental and behavioral health. Those three aspects have suddenly changed the dynamics. And then the number one new appointment through COVID is mental and behavioral appointments. And the fact that now we pay for telemedicine appointments and you can get those regularly as a society, that's a big deal. And that's helped people start to address many of these issues. 
And I think it's wonderful that you all on, on your podcast bring this out, bring these kind of messages to people so they know it's okay, that we can be able to address these things and they know their rights and they know that there's help along the way. And it's not that difficult and nobody should be shy or walk away from this. Uh, so I, I, I just really applaud you all for giving a voice to check up from the neck up the complete person, mental and physical health, along with physical health. And uh, I'm hopeful that people will read the book and give them courage to address things and maybe help a family member uh, at least make themselves aware of, of how we should think about this as the whole person. Absolutely. Like, talk like exactly what you're explaining. Talking about it at home is a way to have a conversation in a safe space and with someone you trust and we have this power as you know younger people like in our homes to just start these conversations with our entire families so you have an anecdote about your role as a paper boy and how it set the tone for your work ethic and how you communicate with customers we want to talk about this story because we believe that our time serving in similar roles in our professional lives um, have made us think critically about every single person who would be impacted by decisions that we make and we'd love to hear you expand on this anecdote and go into how you think the different roles that you've played in your life um, have allowed you to become the leader that you are today. Well, th thank you uh, for bringing that up. Uh, yes, I was a, a paper boy in Rochester, New York. Uh, I delivered the Democrat Chronicle, which is the morning newspaper. Uh, so uh, Rochester, New York, it's kind of cold up in Rochester, New York, uh, like it is right now. But uh, definitely it was something that um, it, it just built uh, a lot of responsibility and uh, responsibility from a standpoint of not only I had to get up every morning and I had to do it, but I had to deliver the papers the right way. Um, if, if you toss the paper and hit the aluminum door and the dog started to bark, that was a problem. <laughs> no one wanted that to happen at six in the morning, you know. Uh, if there was a paper that was misplaced and the wind blew it away, you know, the, my, my customers weren't shy and calling mom and dad and saying that I failed to deliver their, their newspaper. And then of course, at that time you collected, uh, there was no auto pay or anything like that. So if you could imagine the skills that you had to have when you're, you know, 13, 14 years old, knocking on the door and asking for a dollar 10, um, and hopeful that you could get a tip. Uh, was kind of the way you ran your paper out. So uh, uh, I also was an altar boy. So I, I finished the newspapers um, and then my father would take me over to uh, Assumption Church with Father Kelly and I, I had the 6.30 mass. So uh, I was up and busy, um, you know, every, every, every day. And I, I think that any of us that worked and had those kind of responsibilities when we were younger, they have you think differently, uh, especially when you're interacting with adults at that age, you start to see things that you think are right. You see things that are probably not so right. You see things you want to emulate. You see things you don't want to emulate. And I, I grew and learned uh, by, by, by doing that. And, and I will tell you, as I said in the book, when it's 6 a.m. in the morning and you're the only one that's up walking around and you've got papers that you're delivering and the sun comes up, it's a glorious sight and you think. Uh, you, you definitely have time to think. Even though you're 13, 14, 15 years old, you 
you think and you think about things that are important to you and what you want to do when you grow up. And, you know, maybe there's other things that you think about that are more near term, like you might have a test or you might have sports something. But I think that's important. We all need time to think. And, and I think that's so important for us as a society to bring that back in. We move so quickly. There's so much stimulus. You can turn channels. You can go to different types of media. Everybody wants you for something in a matter of a short period of time. We really need to give ourselves uh, the privilege to have some time and to think about things that are important. Um, and uh, I had that when I was a paper boy. I appreciate reading the story. <laughs> Thank you. No, of course. It it honestly like contributes to your just personal growth. Like it doesn't even matter what age you are, like having that time to introspect. I think a lot of us have gotten that during COVID with, you know, quarantining and right. being at home, but having that time to reflect, it helps you decide like the type of person that you want to be, honestly, in terms of your goals or just your attitude on life. And hey, like that's such a wonderful story and super important um, to to your development as a person. And that's it's really amazing and thank you for sharing yeah. it with us and thank you for sharing it in your story thank um you. so we um are going to wrap things up with this final question to you um so it's clear that you believe in the importance of mentorship in the future leaders in healthcare and you even mentioned that uh dr paul grundy mentors your daughter which is so exciting and incredible and must be such like a wonderful moment for you um, and what is your advice that you have for the future leaders of healthcare and how should we go about finding these important relationships with mentors that you like really talk about. Yeah. So thank you for uh, bringing that. And certainly Paul and uh, what he does um, for many, many people, I, I would say to you um, in, in the book, I actually, towards the back, I make six promises to the reader of things that they should think about. And I, I, uh, to page 249 and don't want to read all of them to you, but they're things like rhetoric matters, rhetoric matters. And, and they might sound simple, but if you go to page 249 and you look at those six promises as someone that is starting their career or looking for where they want to make their contributions, I promise you those six things will serve you well. They didn't come just from me. They've come from these great leaders that I've had a chance to be associated with. And so they are something that you can sail your ship by. They are a guidepost for how you can go forward. They are an opportunity for you to be inspired. And, and I believe that the most important things that we do are to create an aspiration in what we do that inspires others to come with us. And you have discipline for course correction and speed aspiration, inspiration, discipline. And if all of your listeners were to think about what do you aspire to? Who will that inspire to go with you? And do you have the discipline to know whether you're on the right course? Can you go faster? Should you do something a little bit differently? Should you ask for some help along the way? And it's with that aspiration, inspiration, and discipline that you will find a great mentor you will find a great mentor because everyone that's a mentor that's out there for you, they want to hear from you first. All of these great leaders, every great leader that's in this book, they start by asking a question. 
not going to the answer. Let me just say that again. They start by asking a question and not going to an answer. So if you're looking for a mentor and you want that kind of relationship, you should know that this great leader that you're going to work with, they're going to ask you a question first. And most likely they're gonna ask you something about what's your aspiration? How are you inspired? Tell me about your discipline so you know whether or not you can go faster or slower. What have you tried? What's worked? What hasn't worked? And if you come prepared to that, I think the right mentor will surface for you. You'll find that person. You'll find your own Dr. Grundy. So it kind of comes from within. But it'll come from within when you release it by thinking to yourself, what is it that I want to accomplish? What level of inspiration do I want to have with others? And, and do I really know what I'm doing here? Do I really know? And if I don't, who should I look to? How should I find an answer to that question? And so it may not have been the answer you were looking for, but it really does come back to each and every one of us to have that aspiration, inspiration, and discipline. And actually the book, Trusted Healers, it was written off of so many great people. And it's around healthcare and what we should all go do. At the end of the book, I challenge the reader. Should that trusted healer, can it be, will it be you? Should you be your own trusted healer? And I think everyone will find that answer in themselves. And then I come back to why do we do what we do? Because everyone matters. Yeah, and that is so powerful. Just thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us here today. Like, I can't think of any other more fitting word than wisdom, truly. And we could tell that you have such a passion for your community and for this country and that you truly care and that you feel that everybody matters. And we feel that too. And that's what we want to emphasize on our podcast too. So just thank you again so, so much for joining us here today. Um, everybody, we're going to share a link to Dan's book, um, his multiple books in our uh, episode bio. And we're going to leave um, his website as well. So we'll have all that for you in our bio if you want to see where you could find Dan um, on our podcasting pages. And thank you so much, Dan, again for joining us. And yeah, everyone will catch you next time on the triage. Thank you so much. Bye.